Hello, and welcome to the Overline Journal podcast. I am your host, Scott Brady, and I am here with my co-host with his very coiffed do. And I'm also... I don't know what that word means. You're well coiffed. I am not well coiffed. Matt Scott. (laughs) Hi, I'm here. Um, Today, we're talking about what size tire and lift. Actually, we're not talking about that. Do not message us asking what size tire and lift we have. We will send you inappropriate pictures of my dog. Not inappropriate, just Just very appropriate. Lots of pictures of your dog. Just pictures of my dog. Yeah. This episode is supported by Lifesaver Jerry Cans. Long before they became a sponsor, these cans were my water tank of choice. And that is because of the flexibility of these units and the technology that they have integrated into the product. They're 18 and a half liters, so just about four and a half gallons. These cans are made from really thick and durable BPA and BPS-free plastic. And that meets NSF P248 and MedCom standards. And you can see it in the product. You can see how well it is constructed. For overlanding, it reduces the turbidity of glacial water, or if you have to pull water out of a muddy creek, for example. And it also includes a complete filter unit with an integrated pump. And that pump can be used for not only dispensing water, but also for pressurizing the tank to use as a shower as well. And that's an optional accessory. And it will purify up to 20,000 liters of water. And it does improve the flavor as well. I noticed that. So even if I'm getting water out of a spigot in some location that I don't know, I notice that the water tastes much better because of the carbon filters as well. You can find out more information on iconlifesaver.com. Anyway, so I I think one of the most contentious arguments I think people get into in the overland space and the four-wheel drive space is tire size, tire width, tire preference, all-terrain, mud terrain. We have these kind of new hybrid, I I call them hybrid all-terrain tires. That's Um, right. You know, what size wheels? There's there's a lot of type of wheels, what type of wheels. Yeah. There's, there's a lot going on, I guess, with this subject, you know, it, it admittedly Scott is better at the absolute technical details. I mean, if you want somebody that's like a you know, scientist of like the mechanics of all the stuff. Scott's definitely gonna be the, the the best person for that. So I guess I'm just here for the ride and to interject <laughs> opinions. No, but you've also you've also had so many sets of tires because you've had so many vehicles that na- naturally all, all means that naturally means that you're gonna yeah. So today's topic is gonna be the principles of overlanding tires and wheels. Basically, we're just going to tell you to go with one size tire less than you think you want. Yeah. And yeah, well, that's the podcast for today. <laughs> yeah. um, have fun. Uh, well, yeah, maybe we get started with some of the more broad, you know, kind of sweeping topics. And I, I think that one of the things that's most important that we always reiterate in these podcasts is you don't really need to do anything, even nope. a, a stock Tacoma with a swag in the back and a couple bags and stock tires and wheels and everything else like that's going to take you around the world. Always default to, uh, can I spend this money on fuel to go someplace interesting as opposed to at the end of this conversation, you feel like you've got to change your tires because um, you're much better off just wearing those out, doing a bunch of fun stuff, and then maybe reconsider for later. One of the things that we do talk about a lot and has been a subject um, bantered about in the forums for decades is tall and narrow versus tall and wide. And there really is two ways to think about it. On that whole science topic is we have to understand the coefficient of friction. It removes this whole idea that wider is better or narrower is is better. The coefficient of friction basically means as the tire gets wider, it has more adhesion 
as a tire gets narrower, it has more vertical load pressure. So they basically cancel each other out. On a glass surface, like a perfectly smooth surface, tall is the same as wide because fascinating. Yeah. That's so it actually way of putting that. It actually doesn't matter. Now there are once you get off of that perfectly smooth surface, then you absolutely have influences that start to change. Should I go with a wide tire or should I go with a narrow tire? Yeah. I mean, and, and I guess to add to that, I feel like this kind of goes to the, you know, the, the steel versus aluminum wheels. Like right. I remember, you know, like 10, 15 years ago, where if you had aluminum wheels, you were a poser. Like you, if you had leather in your Land Rover, <laughs> yeah. it was a really, really bad thing. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's kind of the same thing. I mean, w- one thing that, and this is just interjecting opinion, but I feel like everything's just gone relatively wide. Vehicles have, you know, better brakes, better yep. suspension, better dampening, um, more appropriate gearing. I feel like people are actually finally starting to gear their vehicles for that additional rotating mass and, right. and, and loss of leverage. I don't know. I mean, what's, what's your thing? You've kind of always been a tall and skinny guy. Yes. Uh, not myself personally have been a tall and wide guy, but yeah, you're, you're the, the, tires you're the that wide I, guy that's into the skinny and I'm the skinny that's into the, <laughs> oh, I don't really have a preference. I'm an equal opportunity tire employer. Yeah. So I have always chosen to go with more of a narrow tire and I'll explain why that's been my approach. Um, there, there are some just thoughtful considerations around that. Most of the time you're better off going with about the same width of tire that would be the, the widest tire available from the factory and then simply add aspect ratio. So if it's a, if it's a 265.70, then go to a 265.75. So, and the reason for that is the wheel well is designed for a specific width of tire. So if you go much wider, it either gets outside of the wheel well or it won't tuck fully up into the wheel well. So then you end up with additional rubbing that also affects the sweep of the tire. So a wider tire will have a wider sweep which again results in more rubbing on the vehicle. So if you start off with a little bit narrower tire that's just taller, it will fit up in the same compression on the uh, wheel well. The other thing to consider too is a narrower tire has less rotating and reciprocating mass. So it's easier to accelerate, it's easier to stop, and it's easier to control with the suspension because there's less weight. The other thing that a lot of times people don't think about is you gain fuel economy by not going wider. That's frontal resistance as far as airflow and it's rolling resistance on the tire as well. So that's another thing that you have to really consider. One of the main reasons why you see um, locals in Africa will use narrower tires tires is that it keeps everybody in the same track. So you have less tire on the road, which means you have less surface area that's going to pick up a thorn or a glass bottle or a piece of sharp metal. There's actually less tire. Um, So statistically, the narrower you go, the lower the likelihood is that you're going to end up with a flat. So those are all things to consider. There are absolutely reasons to go with wider tires. You you start to run into the mechanical limits of adhesion with a narrow tire. It's the reason why sports cars don't come with narrow tires anymore is because there's so much power that as that rotating torque starts to limit the adhesion, you actually tear the, the tire away. So you burn rubber. That's actually what happens as opposed to the rubber continuing to stick and the vehicle launching. So Uh, There are advantages around mechanical keying and adhesion. We'll talk about those in a few minutes. Um, So those are definitely things to consider um, when you look at a wide versus narrow tire. Yeah. And and I think another thing, you know, for travelers is, is actually figure out if you can get those tires, you know, for example, on my Land Cruiser, I have 
what I think is a relatively ideal size tire. It's a Falcon AT3W. I like it because it's a winter rated tire. I, I don't necessarily want yeah. to be limited as to where I can go, especially with some states that require a winter snowflake rating. But I'm not going to find a 34 inch by 11 by 17. I mean, I can't even get that in Prescott. Right. Like I have to special order that. So maybe this doesn't actually just apply to, you know, to global guys, but I couldn't get that tire size in Moab. Yeah. Granted, I do carry a spare, but you know, then obviously, then you don't have a spare if you use that one. Um, so just, I think it's important to consider where you're going, how you're using the vehicle. You know, there's there's something to be said for common size tires. Correct. It's way easier these days to find a 17 inch tire than it is a 16 or even a 15. Because think about it. I mean, what basically whatever size tire a lifted Jeep runs, you're always going to be able to find that. You'll always be able to find a 33, 10, 50, 17. Yep. I'm, I'm just going to drop the wheel size, but you'll always be able to find a 33. You'll always be able to find a 35. Yeah. And these days you'll pretty much always be able to find a 37. They're just so common yeah. between the JKs, JLs, Gladiators, Raptors, uh, a lot of things. So I guess that's my little tidbit of advice. Maybe no, that's technical. No, yours, that's, but. that's super valid. And it's the reason why when you go to Africa, you typically see a 7.5 R16 on a Nissan Patrol and on a G-Wagon yeah. and on a Defender and on a 70 series is that everybody runs those tires and you can find them in mound in the middle of Botswana, they actually have mm. they actually have those tires there, uh, but it's also not a reason to buy that size. Modern tires are so much better. Um, I've had so few flats. You've, you've had one flat, yeah, and I've had one flat driving my mom's <laughs> Lexus when she came to visit yeah. in Colorado. <laughs> Yeah. You just don't get flats as often anymore. And if you pay attention to the road as you're driving, the reason why I got a flat is I was screwing with the GPS. And as a result, I hit a rock and opened up a sidewall on a tire, but it's fairly rare to get catastrophic flats anymore. Most of them you can patch and repair, can plug, um, you can just get you back to the road. Um, so it, it really isn't that you've got to go with this ubiquitous size. We do want to pick, we don't want to do something really weird. Like an 18 internationally is going to be hard to find. Any tire that comes on a modern Land Rover is going to be. Or a modern Land Cruiser. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be available. Oh, you mean. Yeah, right. Anything no, that's. Yeah. No, I'm saying that the weird. Yeah. I mean, you can't even. Like Landovers seem to come with a lot of 19 inch wheel sizes, is kind of the smallest that you can go. Right. And I think there's one Goodyear Duratrack that isn't even sold in the United States and you have to get it from the UK. Yeah, you're right. Don't use that tire. Yeah. That so is true. going to end up in a bad time. Yeah. And that is such a challenge. It's, you wonder, I mean, I think it's, they, they try to solve the, all these engineering problems and they don't think about the end use case. If it's bigger than an 18, it's typically not going to work Hot well. Take. They really think about the end use case because the people buying those cars want 20s. Yeah. They true. want big cars. Yeah. Or big, big tires. Big but wheels. Yeah. That's controversial. And let's move on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and then another thought that we always have is, is bigger tires always better? In most cases, they actually are. And that is somewhat contrarian to the way that I viewed tires um, even 15 years ago. But once I started going to Iceland and I started um, experiencing the benefit of truly yeah. massive tires. Yeah, but but think 15 years ago when we were building Discovery 1s yeah, right. and that kind of stuff. You, you couldn't put a 37. Like I felt dirty putting a 37 on my Gladiator, which is my main travel vehicle, but anything smaller would have kind of been awkward. Like it yeah. only has a, like if a two inch lift. 
Yeah. You know, and it fits a 37 inch tire because, you know, in a, in a relatively short amount of time, you know, the axle strength, a uh, broad structure, the axle strength doubled, the horsepower doubled, the amount of available gears in the transmission doubled. Yeah. You know, uh, the performance of traction control doubled. Yeah. There's a lot of things that have happened. Um, that really do facilitate a much larger tire. Yeah. Even five years ago, I would have said, oh, this is my usual thing. Needs versus wants, right? You, you don't need 37 inch tires for almost anything in the overland space unless you're really need flow or yeah. tons of ground clearance. Yeah. yeah. Boy, they are nice. Yeah. Cause there's really no downside to it. I'll, I'll get 50, 60,000 miles out of those tires where again, the tire that I feel like the length of the, how many miles you can get from the tires has doubled. Yeah. There, and a larger diameter tire will give you much better wear because it's a larger, larger diameter. diameter. So it's spinning less, you know, rotations to cover the same distance. And that's certainly a consideration. And there's all, a lot of ride quality benefits to a larger tire too. When you air them down, they're much more comfortable, a lot more uh, deformed formation of the carcass. Um, there's a lot more leverage off road. So it's that much easier to get up and over, yeah. over ledges. Every corrugation is smaller. So there are really big benefits to big tires. And if you look at like a, an AEV Dodge Ram, for example, I know we use that as a, as an example often, which it's, that's just incidental, but they fit those things with 40 inch tall tires and they actually work really well with that tire on there. Yeah. I mean, think again, you talk a lot about flotation, a 7,000 pound or runner on a 32 inch tire yeah. versus a, you know, 8,500 pound truck on 40 inch tires. Yep. Think of the footprint. It's, yeah. you know, the, the ground doesn't really know much difference yep. if maybe the Ram is actually lighter. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's pretty amazing to drive off highway with a tire, like a 40 or a 44 inch tall tire. I think about uh, the, the Arctic trucks that I've used in mixed terrain in, in Iceland, you can encounter everything from rock to, to really peaty areas to deep mud and glaciers and everything else. And it is shocking how well those vehicles work. It's, they run it's effortless. Four to eight PSI. Uh, at, at the most. I mean, um, when you're on the trail, you run about eight PSI. And then when you're climbing a glacier, when you need maximum traction, you can be down to two or three PSI. That's crazy. Yeah. It's incredible how well they work. And, and we're talking a lot about traction and, and, and larger tires and stuff. I just as a brief overview, as you air those tires down, which you should always do when you're off road, it has a myriad of benefits, but you're actually mainly increasing the footprint in terms of length. That's correct. Not as much as you would think in terms of width. Yep. There's a great Instagram account, Dirt Sunrise. Kelsey and Tim, Kelsey yeah. used to work here. They actually, these guys are really, really knowledgeable. They've traveled all over um, and they actually took the time on one. I want to say they did a video or an Instagram yep. post about like putting ink on the tire and then jacking the vehicle, well, jacking the vehicle up, putting yep. ink on the tire and saying, here's what this tire looks like at 60 PSI all the way down to almost nothing. And, and it's crazy how, uh, I want to say they had 35 inch tires on sure. their Land Cruiser turns into a little mini tank track. They really do. And you get 80% of the improvement in flotation from the increased length of the tread. Only about 20% of it comes now that varies upon construction. So a, an E-rated tire will deform slightly different, but for this example, you get a, you you get about 80% of the increased flotation from the length of the tread, which is actually really a huge benefit because then you're not, again, 
introducing all of this frontal resistance from a wider tire. So going tall and narrow, that's the advantage. You create those mini tank tracks. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. Totally. I like it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, when it comes to tall and narrow, default that direction unless the conditions demand it, which would be something like I'm climbing a glacier. Um, so there's ways to do that. And then bigger is, we always have to remember off-road bigger is almost always better. There are of course limitations to that. And we could spend three hours talking about that. But if if you have a gladiator and you can fit 37s on it easily, like Matt yeah. has just described, uh, that's going to provide a bunch of benefits in that regard. There are certainly downsides. You know, there's the falsifiability of all of these suggestions, but um, we do need to, you know, reinforce that that's an advantage uh, when it comes to that. And then I, I guess we could uh, probably talk more kind of just more of the general stuff too. Um, like siping is a great example mm. of a technology. Uh, I've that you- never siped my tires, but mm. it is something that you can do that drastically improves the, you know, the traction of that, of that tire. True. Um, although you mentioned that you use a snowflake tire, which has additional, they will typically kind of have siping from the factory. That's one of the reasons why I also really like a snow rate, a uh, snowflake or snow rated tire, uh, because they will have much more siping. And these are these very fine cuts in the tire. You can add them after the fact. Some people will sipe, sipe a mud tire, for example, or they will come factory siped. And what happens is those very uh, thin cuts, when you start to put rotational force in it, either you're accelerating or braking, it slightly opens up that gap and it introduces this very sharp edge to the surface, uh, which makes a huge improvement in wet weather, icy conditions. And it also makes a huge difference. It makes a huge difference on rocks and everything else. The only time you start to notice some downside is you'll get some stone retention, some pebble retention in those sipes. And then it also can result in the lug integrity problems of chunking and tearing. So that's just something to be aware of is if you have a heavy right foot, um, siping will typically result in a lot of damage to the tire. So yeah, but heavy right foot's generally fun. It can be for sure. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So siping is a consideration. I also think that it's people spend too much time focusing on tread life. Yeah. In my opinion. Well, because it's so subjective. It is. Depending on what you're driving, for example, like I do a lot of gravel, Baja, Arizona, West Coast, a lot of forest service roads. I would say of the off-highway miles I do, 90% of them are on gravel. And gravel really chews tires up. It does. You know, so finding a tire that works for the conditions that you're actually in. Yep. You know, I, I talked to my buddy, Adam Overland history on Instagram, and he just moved out from the East coast and the, the tire, you know, the tires he he's has on his truck now are really appropriate for the East coast. But out here, I mean, like in my personal experience, every time I've put mud terrain tires on a vehicle for how I travel, they chunk, yeah. they have issues. Um, yeah. and, and, and most of that is all just gravel related. Yeah, that know. totally makes sense. And and if you look at like a typical tire use in Australia and Africa, they'll, you'll see them most often with either a hybrid or an all-terrain because they do hold up a lot better. There's a lot more lug integrity because of the connection between the lugs. But when it comes to tread life, people will say, oh, I'm going to buy this tire because it has a 60,000 mile tread warranty. So this is, that's a positive. 
um, is in that it has a long tread life and a long warranty. Here's the downside that really makes a difference. When you get a tire that lasts that long, it has to be made to last that long, which means that it is going to have a very hard durometer, which is going to directly affect adhesion and micro keying off-road. So there's a reason why most of the best off-road tires have a very soft rubber compound is because they work better on hard rock, on granite, on slick rock, because you have much better adhesion. There's a reason why race cars have very soft tires. Yeah, you, you don't want Fisher-Price Hot Wheels. Well, there, there's the example is <laughs> yeah. the, the power wheel that I had when I was quite young, very young, like, I don't know, two or three. How often did you buy and sell Hot Wheels? I'm just trying to get a frame of reference. Did you trade Hot Wheel cars and did you buy? No, I, I, I bought and sold Pokemon cards <laughs> like at like age eight or something. I had the, I had the distinct advantage of my, uh, my grandpa's company at the time put the wrapping over the Pokemon cards. Oh, so wow. Was, this is a huge advantage. I was wiping my behind with Charizards. That will make <laughs> no sense to anybody over 35. I'm sorry. But That's anyway, um, no, but like the, the whole concept of like that power wheel thing, you know, you hear them, you hear the kids out driving around and it's like a, you know, it's a, they're loud. They're, they're hard. They don't get grip. Yeah. You don't want that. You really don't. Unless your only goal is to make the tires last as physically as long yeah. as possible. Which, which I think there, there is a, a use case for, for that. sure. Buddy of mine, David Prittis, who's driven all over the world in a Defender, uses Michelin tires because they wear so long because he knows he doesn't necessarily have a problem. Oh, if I get stuck, I'll winch out. I have Max Tracks or whatever. And, you know, they just last a really long time. And for a traveler that's on a budget and is considering those things, maybe that is a valid point, but you may not get the same level of performance. Yeah. Obviously. What a great, no, what a great example, Matt. And that's, it's so important to talk about things like that because tires are expensive. So if long tread life or accessibility to tires in Africa or some location that it may be difficult, you may want something that lasts a lot longer, but usually, you know, the difference is maybe 10 to 15,000 miles. So it's not, it's not a big difference, but that is totally valid. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So I think tread life is something to like, don't use that as the reason to buy the the tires or as some great advantage for an off-road tire. Um, they also can tear more often because they're harder compound. They can chunk and tear more readily because again, they're a much harder compound. So that's something to consider as well. Another thing that you see a lot on these tires is these bead protectors and they kind of protrude out from the rim. Yeah. I've never actually seen them protect anything other than get, they get torn and kind of shredded and then yeah, you see they, them hanging. Like they, get, they, they get those fine cuts because yeah, they totally. don't actually have any, there's, there's, there's no uh, fibers or yeah. anything to actually hold That's that right. rubber in. I, I don't, I don't mind the concept nor, yeah. nor do I mind the concept of having, you know, like kind of that shoulder armor on the yeah, tire. Yeah, that I like. You know, in fact, if you go back, I'll use the BF Goodrich KO2. I think that's a, a KO, I should say. Yeah. The, the BF Goodrich All-Terrain, you had the KO, which had yep. kind of two different iterations. And, yep. and you had the KO2 and you go back and you're like, wow, that sidewall looks really naked. Yeah. You know, that's definitely, in my opinion, that, that was an area where I would always see fit you know, failures on the trail yes. was like guys that at the time, maybe 10 years ago, had older style tires that didn't have that. Sure. That shoulder armor. I don't think it's necessarily the end all be all. No, I, I think you're right. Absolutely. That's been my experience too, is that those, when the lug 
when the shoulder lugs wrap around to the side of the carcass, it does provide some flat protection. It actually provides some additional traction if you're in a rut or you're climbing up um, using just the part of the sidewall of the tire. Um, there's definitely some advantages, particularly when you're airing down. So I think you're right. I think that these, some of them can look ridiculous. I think well, there was, I think there was one that looked like some bullets or something. There's, so there's, stupid, the, bullet, but... there's the bullet one and then there's the flame one. Yeah, which all look, they look so ridiculous. And but... they're all sold by... Um, I'm going to stop myself there. <laughs> um, anyway, but <laughs> yeah. don't get a gimmicky tire is, yeah. is what I'm trying to say. But I, I do think you're right. I think that those shoulder lugs have merit. Um, they do add weight and they add some additional chunking possibilities. But I think the the upside far outweighs the downside. Yeah, yeah. It's a little bit more weight, but vehicles yeah. these days. Yeah, they're heavy. They're heavy. They can yeah, it's, mar- it's probably marginal on the yeah. weight. Um, yeah, it is It's definitely something to consider. But, you know, the bead protector thing, don't use it as a reason to buy the tire. I've just seen those things just get torn and they can kind of hang like little flaps off the side of the off the side of the tire. Yeah. So they don't seem to perform a, a great function in that regard. All right. Well, now let's talk about the different types of tires. So you tend to favor the all-terrains, Matt, and kind of talk about why you use an all-terrain. Um, what do you look for in an all-terrain? I, you know, number one thing I look for is a, is a winner rating, you know, being a millennial, I have to have a snowflake rating. I'm told, <laughs> um, you know, so, you know, that snowflake rating, super important. You, Matt, I can't so, drive without that it. is snowflake rated. I'm snowflake rated. No, but that, that is a really big thing. I mean, I want to say Washington, Oregon part, you know, passes in Colorado, a lot of places it's, it's snowflake rated tires, yeah. which, which is a winter, a snow tire, or winter tire. That is kind of the accepted um, standard that is used, you know, so that that's really important. I agree. And I find that it's a big upside for other performance attributes too. They tend to have more siping. They tend to be a softer durometer um, and they tend to have a little bit more carbon black in there, which improves ice and wet condition performance. So you know, good stuff. So, so for me, that kind of has, has it in my history of overlanding has brought me to two tires has brought me to kind of the BFG all terrain. And, um, I had run that forever, but I always had problems with chipping chunking, um, and yeah. chunking and gravel. You know, I, Big time. Um, I did, I, I chased the rebel rally, um, as media in, I want to say it was the first one. So it would have been like 2016 I had a brand new set of 35 inch BF Goodrich KO2s. Great tire. I think they perform really well but I completely roasted them after one trip. And I'm like, yeah, that wasn't good. And then I switched to these Falcons and that was when I learned differences in rubber can make a huge difference for how, how you're actually using the tire. Yeah. Um, I think probably the BF Goodrich is a higher performing tire, probably has better limit handling. Mm. Um, that's why I kept them on my Raptor, but they've got to work on gravel for me. Yeah. Um, most of my cars generally all fit lockers or they come with lockers. So I can overcome most of the things I find on an Overland style trip just through that. That first generation of Falcon ATs was like magic on hard rock. They actually used a racing car compound to make those ATs. I never had any chunking or tearing and they were insane on hard rock. And then I, I guess I was, I, I bring up Falcon a lot but it's because I was like so impressed. I, I thought they were kind of a discount yeah. cheap tire brand. And I've never, I don't want to say I haven't associated with those brands, but I just, I, I was never naturally drawn to them. BF Goodrich has like the storied history in Baja. Um, but then you really start to look at it and they're Sumitomo rubber. They're, they're Dunlop. They're yeah. one of the world's largest tire companies. They just don't yeah. own Dunlop in the United States. You know, they make every tire that leaves a Toyota factory in Japan. Yeah. Those tires are on them. Um, no, they're know. really, they're really good quality. 
quality. Yeah. So, but anyways, I guess I'm on a little bit of a tangent, you know, snowflake rating, you know, they've got to work in gravel for me, which I guess is just something you kind of have to, you know, test and try and, you know, ask, you know, trusted friends yourself. Those are my, my two biggest, biggest things. And I don't encounter a lot of mud. When I look at the places that I go, it's the West coast of the United States. It's rock, it's shale, it's sand, mm-hmm. um, an all-terrain tire. While it may always seem better to have, you know, larger siping, larger, a higher void tire mm. is what I should have actually said. A higher void tire. That's not always the case. It's not always better. Yeah. Especially in sand, a perfectly bald tire just about, or like a, a factory tread yeah. tire is going to work excellent in sand because you want to maximize the flotation and you want to minimize the disruption of yeah. the silica. So the fact that you have a low void, you actually get much better flotation and you're less likely to dig a hole. When you go to, if you ever get the chance to do kind of the, the sand deserts in the Gulf, Gulf Peninsula, um, Arabian Peninsula, I should say, they run these nylon belted tires, yeah. which I want to say aren't even street legal, but they'll put them on land cruisers and they kind of have this texture to them that's yeah. fascinating. And they'll have this lip where kind of on the shoulder of the tire just to provide additional flotation yep. and they rock. Yep. And it would be the last thing you would look at and you're like, this guy has bald tires. Yeah. No, it's not. And and then again, with that nylon bead yeah. core, help me out here. What's the technical term for that? Ribbing, for the carcass? Oh, yeah, nylon carcass or yeah. whatever. You know, they, they stretch out, they get length is huge. Oh, sure. So they even do better under flotation. Yeah. And those side scallops, that kind of reminds me of that. Remember that Lamborghini SUV? That was the first one to do and that. And it had the little side scallops. Yes. Those were awesome. And you know, when I did, when I did the, the launch for the Lamborghini Urus a while ago and we were off-road on a track that later I saw the tractor drag tires over to make it nice and smooth. <laughs> that was one of the things that they pointed out was like just like the LM002 <laughs> we have this you know this little weird shoulder design thing that helps in sand because that's probably where most Lamborghini totally. Uruses are being used. Is It would actually be really fun in the sand I bet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it, yeah. It would be a rally car. Yeah it'd be really I'd fun. I'd be all for it. Yeah so when we look at sand it's easy to think like, oh, we want these paddle tires or we want these mud tires so we can scoop the sand. That is absolutely valid when you have huge horsepower and a huge. light. Like and if you're going to Glamis yeah. and you have like a blown, or well, you have an LS9 or something in the yeah. back of a tube buggy. Yeah. So how that works. Don't listen to what we just said. Yeah. That's how that works it, with the scallop, with the, um, like the, basically the bald tires with the huge scoops on them or a mud tire. You have to have enough horsepower and enough wheel speed to actually displace more sand volume and weight of sand than the resistance of the vehicle. So that's why those those sand rails are so light and they're so fast. They can displace the weight of sand. Well, they literally get up on plane. Yeah, they basically. do. It's yeah, like a do. it's like a boat. It's like a jet to, engine. Yeah. It's like a jet engine of sand coming out the back. And if you're if your series one uh, discovery can't do that, then you're better off going with a much a much more tame tread pattern. So when it comes to tires, I mean, what do you look for? I guess I mean you're you're kind of an all terrain tire I, guy as I, well. I am for sure. Right now on the Defender, I have the classic XELs, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Which is they pure, look right. Yeah, which is just purely because they're the right tire for that vintage of vehicle. But um, when it comes to all terrains, I do. Really 
really tend to use them. Uh, I do like the the newest version of the BF Goodrich KO because they've improved a lot of that lug integrity and they've reduced yeah. a lot of the chipping, which I think is a real advantage. I ran the the Continental Terrain Contact. Oh, I've you had those on the G wagon on the G wagon. Uh, yeah, for years, and it was an excellent tire for yeah. that vehicle. Very smooth going down the road. I got an improvement in fuel economy with triple diff locks. You just really don't really yeah. run into that much problem. Bruce uh, Dorn has those on his now, and I think does. even uh, Laura's parents bought a set of those. Yeah, they're really, really great yeah. tires. They've very much impressed me. Uh, I also like the new Toyo AT3s. I'm impressed with the amount of siping on them, the way that the lugs are configured on the tire. I had it out in the Slick Rock of of Sedona recently in the in the Lexus, and it was incredible how much grip those tires had. Fascinating. Yeah, they were really yeah, fascinating. Yeah, they fascinating. Were, they, they were. Tell me more. Tell me more. Yeah, those those were uh, those were really good. So I think the thing anymore is that so many of the all terrains are great. When Cooper came out with their AT two or AT three, uh, this is probably close to ten years ago. It literally was revolutionary. It was so good, and then now everybody realized that, and they have addressed a lot of that performance. I, I don't actually so. know a lot of bad tires in the yeah, market. Like if, really I, if I was gonna. You know, we, we have our preferences and I think yeah. it's kind of tires are like the beer you, you drink, you, Miller Lite, Bud Light, whatever. You just kind of seem to stick with a, a particular or a, flavor. Uh, orange Blossom. Maybe, maybe I'm the snowflake. Orange Blossom beer. I probably am the snowflake. I just I, don't know it. I gave you the Orange Blossom beer. <laughs> That's true. So you could bring it in. <laughs> um, oh man, where was I going with that? There's a lot know. of good tires out there, there these days. I mean, I, I've been on the trail with a lot of people. I'm like, eh. yeah those things. And then they don't really have any issues. I mean, if I was to offer sweeping advice on all terrains, there are definitely brands out there like, uh, you know, some national chain four wheel drive stores that are just selling. Yeah. They, they go to as somebody in the industry, they go to the lower South hall at SEMA to yeah. all the Chinese tire companies and say, make me something with flames on it. Yeah. And then they sell them to people and they suck. Yeah. Um, surprisingly, there's no actual engineering that goes into a lot of those right. things. But if you stick to a major tire company these days, I don't want to say that you can't go wrong, but I think you're right. I think that they've done so much to raise their game. There's a lot of money in aftermarket tire sales. These tire companies really care about that. And they also really care about fitment on vehicles like a Jeep Rubicon, like the the tire that ends up on a Tacoma or a Jeep Rubicon that says something about the brand. So they really fight for those positions, I think, in the marketplace. And they are really good. And But one of the downsides of the cheaper tires is they just don't have access to things like noise noise canceling engineering, really understanding the finite element analysis and all of those modeling around traction profiles. And that's what you get with a better quality tire. Yeah. Let's go on to mud terrain tires. I don't really know anything about them. <laughs> I haven't used them. And the last time I used a mud terrain tire was when we had that Land Rover Trek Discovery. Oh yeah. That, yeah. Right? For sure. And that had KM, KMs on there. KM2s. Yeah. And those tires I, while I had a few sets of them over my years, they had see-through and see-through is basically where like, you can look at the side profile of the tire. Yeah. They didn't technically have see-through, but they are pretty close, pretty, pretty dang close. It's where you can literally see a a line through it. Like think of a paddle tire, a paddle tire would be the definition of something that had a lot of see-through your lateral grip and wet or mud or anything. I parked that thing. And I don't know if I've ever told you this. (laughs) You haven't, this is new. I I parked, I parked this 
car and because somebody was stuck on it was actually on the it wasn't on the te- it might have been on the test track there's some people stuck ahead of me i just went out like oh there's snow wheeling and have fun sure. and i look back and this car which was had been parked for like a minute is now moving sideways <laughs> yeah. and i was done yeah totally. that's when i was done with mud train tires but i don't know that's a really important characteristic right so that was a big problem with the km2 was that it, it had very poor side slope holding so that would happen in in snow it would happen in mud so that channel that you said that yeah. isn't interrupted it, it's an uninterrupted channel it would just allow for the material just to flow through it and it would slide downhill and that means it doesn't hold its line it's more inclined to oversteer all kinds of problems and if you look at the km3 they've totally addressed that because i, of, I haven't used the km3 but yeah. it, just looking at it it looks so much better so much better yeah and it is so much better my experience it's a lot more quiet as well you know there's a lot of problems that come up with mud tires you have a hard time keeping them balanced they produce they can produce a ton of noise particularly once they start to wear so then that just that just adds to that driver fatigue at the end of the at the end of the trip they don't last as long the tread life is much less on those if you need a mud tire though like if you're travel if you live in the southeast and you you probably want a mud tire yeah exactly the terrain has dictated that you need that particular attribute and then make sure that you have a really great mud tire uh, but in most cases outside of the mud unless you're in again street, extreme rock crawling starts to make a difference so that's when we start talking about that mechanical keying and that is where the lug of the tire starts to interface with a, a significant surface irregularity protrusion edge of a ledge etc where it actually helps to aid with the tire gripping and maintaining keying so that it can climb up the obstacle that's something where an all-terrain may slip on that particular feature of the rock whereas a mud tire would stay locked on just like a rock climber climbing up the face of a surface yeah and and those high voids too i think when you get into the you know particular design features of a mud terrain tire how they can clear themselves is a really big part of that too for sure on the on the on in the mud for sure so that void let's talk real quickly about some of the void considerations so if you have a mud tire that has a vertical shoulder on the lug that creates a lot of stiction and where the mud literally stays captive inside that void. So you want to look for a mud tire that has a tapered lug profile because that allows when the wheels, when the tire starts to spin up, it allows it to evacuate the mud from that. And then that also aids a lot in lug integrity. So you want something with a little bit of a taper to it. And some of the newest mud tires are really smart where they'll have small scallops on the surface of the lug that again, reduce that stiction of the mud. Yeah, and BFG is doing crazy things like they have these little like bars that kind of yes uh, serve a, a function to kind of break that stiction or yes. call it that vacuum that's holding that's that right. mud in there you know one of the things that they're doing is they have those little rock ejectors too mm. which are just like yeah and they crazy. work they really and do they really do work anyone that's listening that knows much about swords i don't know anything about swords except for this one particular thing i don't know anything about swords but if you look at the length of a sword blade oftentimes they'll have this channel that runs down the flat of the blade like for the blood to come That's, out. Well, it does the same thing. So when probable. you impale your enemies, it allows you to pull the sword back out so it doesn't say stuck in the victim. So it's the same thing works with a mud tire. Apologize for that. I have only heard that indication. used twice on once on this podcast and two probably at lunch in middle school <laughs> <laughs> describing <laughs> took my sweet katana, bro. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to know that I have risen myself to middle school discussions. We're, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get like a katana over your back. <laughs> 
I'm going to, I'm going to get that for you. Oh no. My first <laughs> oh, tattoo. No. Oh no. <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. Um, okay. Yeah. So then on mud tires, you're going to have a significant cost to miles per gallon. There's a lot of rolling resistance that comes from a mud tire. So you need to be aware the of noise that. is like yeah. the biggest thing. Now these new, these new mud terrain tires, I'll particularly use like the, I think the most recent mud tire I had was like Falcon wild peak MT. Mm. I have been in vehicles that have had the KM three and they were really quiet. I've never personally owned them, but I have like continental MPT 81s, 41, 42 inches tall on my earth roamer. And that is the most fatiguing thing about driving that vehicle is the that yeah. just constantly. And I think that's something that, that travelers or, or even let's use a more practical case, Bob, who lives on the East coast that wants to go to Moab. It's going to be really, really annoying for, yeah. for, for that drive. Yeah. Fatiguing. Fatiguing. That's something to pay attention to. And also note that as the tire wears down, oftentimes gets louder. Yes. In most cases, that's been my experience. So we're not saying don't use mud tires. If the use case scenario demands it, or if you're traveling up the length of Africa and you intend to do a bunch of off-road driving. If you're going uh, through the Congo. Yeah. You, you're going to want to have some mud tires. Um, but although locals do it with on bald tires all the time. Yeah. So we have to keep all that Trade stuff in line. My experience with mud tires more recently has been more positive. You do need to know that there's, there's a lot of consequences to using a mud tire. I think in most case to, cases, and I would admit this myself personally in the past, I've used mud tires because they look better on the car. They do look um, good. And they look, I mean, they, they are a higher performance tire. Yeah. That's like, right. Like strictly speaking, they're going to be a higher performance tire. Like there's yep. a reason Dave Harrington puts those 41 inch IROX on his trucks. Yeah, that's right. Cause they really do work yeah. in most off-road conditions, you know, for travel, a lot of times we're driving highway to get there. So we have to just keep that in mind. Yeah. And then there are these new hybrid tires, uh, which I think are important to touch base on mostly because we want to continue to encourage manufacturers to make them because they really do like a Duratrac, which is one of the OG hybrids. It's an open lug side channel. And then it has a lot of siping and a fairly closed pattern down the crown of the tire. And those those tires work excellent and they're fairly quiet on the road. They have a lot of grip. Uh, they do yeah. really well on gravel. So I like the fact that we're seeing a lot more of those hybrid tires. Yeah. Now. The Ridge grapplers. Um, have you had one of those? I haven't. Yeah. I, I I've had some friends that have had them and they seem to rave about them. I want to say they were like rotationally mold their tires and there's some technical advantages to, mm. I, I could be wrong on the term yeah. rotational molding, but people seem to, to really like them. I've, I've never, again, for me, I mean, I would be more likely to run a hybrid tire yeah. than I would a mud terrain tire these days. I I'm really curious to see where that goes out. You know, you have the, the Cooper ST max, which is another kind of, the OG. We've I've used had a, a lot, lot of, of driving miles yeah. behind those in Australia. Yeah, those are great. Um, really durable. Good on the beach, really durable, really yeah. great for gravel. Yep. Um, those are a great choice. I want to say Cooper just got bought by Goodyear. Oh, like could be. Five squillion, nine <laughs> squillion, jillion yeah. dollars or something. Sure. You have the Baja ATZ P3. That is the same, I guess the same company as Cooper is. Yep. is uh, uh, no, I don't. I don't Mickey Thompson. Are they? Okay. I, I want to say. Could be. I want to say yeah, so. Milestar Patagonia is one that actually you brought up. Yeah. I, I've, I've, I've not s- tried it, but it's one that's new to the market. Yeah. So. New. And then you have those Yokohamas. Yeah. Those are brand new. 
Yeah. Geolander X A T. Dan Greck speaks highly of those. Yeah. 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 He's put quite a few miles on those things. All yeah. He's over had really Africa. good, really good. I, mean, I think there's, I think there's a huge argument if you're an overlander that is, Hey, yeah, maybe I'm going to go on a, some more technical trails. Maybe I don't necessarily know where I'm going. Think Dan's trip through Africa. That's a great tire for that because he's doing deserts in Namibia and then he's doing mud in the Ivory Congo coast yeah. and yeah. the Congo. And yeah, that's know. definitely the argument for the hybrids. And I'm, I'm just really excited to see what's going to come from that. And I actually plan plan on trying to spend more time testing those kinds of tires. Uh, so that way we can get a, a pretty good understanding of the performance profile yeah. of those. Should we, uh, bust onto wheels wheels? Yeah. We're going to take a quick break from this episode to thank beyond clothing for their support of the Overland journal podcast. Beyond makes technical garments for overlanding the outdoors and also for adventure travel. They produce everything from recovery gloves to durable and weatherproof soft shells. And many of their products are made in the United States. Matt has been wearing the Ventum K4 jacket for over a year and speaks very highly of it. And I have been obsessed with this Celerus midweight pullover and I wear it many times a week and often look for it when it's in the laundry. Beyond is also celebrating women explorers and has up to 40 percent off of women's gear through the 12th of March. For more information, check out beyondclothing.com. If you don't have steelies, you don't go off road. <laughs> well, you can't hammer them out if you don't have steelies. Or you can get a nice wheel that won't need hammering out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, I guess with on a broad spectrum, you have alloy wheels and you have steel wheels. I know right. that there's magnesium wheels, but we're not driving GT3 RSs here. <laughs> Unfortunately, maybe that's another podcast. It's a different one, specifically with the Y sock package for any Porsche files out there. Um, yeah. Anyway, so you know, there's there's forages cast. Um, there's this new thing called flow forming, which That's is right. kind of in between cast and forging. Yeah, those are very interesting. Um, I guess maybe you're better to get into the scientific specifics of of what make these things what they are. I have to say, for most overland uses, it seems on Instagram that the new thing is, oh, I gotta have these forged wheels. And I'm like, no, you're doing that for likes. You don't actually need those things. I've seen the 35 mile an hour you drive with your roof tent. Yeah. You're, you're not really need wants. Yeah. I don't, when it comes to wheels, I believe the most important thing is a quality manufacturer. Yeah. Cause the big problem with cast, which is a valid concern is this would be inclusions or um, it's basically when, as the molten aluminum is being poured into the cast um, that you can get these inclusions and you can get these little pockets of air that results in the start or the facilitation of a crack and damage to the wheel. And I have seen that kind of stuff happen so long ago. I don't think that that's an issue anymore. There's a bunch of upsides to cast. They can be made lighter. Um, they could be made more complex. Uh, they can be made more easily. So they're less expensive, you know, forging, we forged wheels can look fantastic too. So there there's advantages to both, but they're, you could also probably travel for a month yeah. for each wheel. Yeah. There's a big cost. difference. There's a big difference in price. So I think the key is to go with a good quality manufacturer. Like, and there are certain certifications too. Um, right. You know, DOT for sure. You know, they have to be DOT compliant, particularly for beadlocks, but there are these OE level certifications that you should look for. We'll put those in the show notes because they're, yep. they're a little bit complicated to, to just say out, but look for those things. There is a lot of junk out there as far as there is. Um, cast wheels go, you know, do your research. There are are a plethora of you almost can't throw a rock without hitting a quality off-road specific vehicle manufacturer 
or so wheel, wheel manufacturer, but yeah, there's some great ones out there. There's I mean, great ones. Yeah. You know, I think about a new, newer one on the scene is 1552 make great looking wheels, a bunch of different, and they're kind of understated, which I like uh, method has every, yeah, I've had a set of methods, every possible configuration yeah. of wheel you can imagine. And they've got this new kind of bead grip technology, which I need to test that, but in theory, I have a set. Oh, do you? So we got it. We should try that trail series 702s, but it does look like that would actually work particularly with a new tire. The cost benefit between that and a, I've had bead locks on Jeeps. I've had this on Jeeps. I air down quite a bit. I mean, I, I go down to 15 PSI sometimes when I'm on the beach in Baja, just because of the weight of the camper and everything on the back. And I, and I like to, I like to give it the, give it the skinny pedal sometimes. And, you know, I generally, for me, the, the beadlock thing comes into play high speed, a lot of lateral movement, vehicles rotating, and then the the bead pops off, you know? So just having a little bit of extra, that lateral stability there from that beadlock or. I think it makes sense. I mean, I, my experience with the Arctic trucks, even down to two or three PSI, I've never lost a bead. They use a compound to help it kind of stick. Okay. Um, and then they slightly oversize the wheel. Like, I don't know what the slightly is. I don't know what the dimensions are that change, but the wheel is slightly oversized from a 15 so that it's very tight. It's like a it's, very it's tight, tight yeah. fit. And I have never seen one of those. Well, actually I did have one on a Fiat no Yoko Glacier that I lost a bead, but it was, it was easy enough to get that back on. I'll give you a beer, another beer. If you can re- repeat whatever you just said, that glacier was called. Eyjafjallajökull. Eyjafjallajökull. <laughs> I'm going to get, I'm going to get hate mail from all three of our Icelandic listeners. Let me come. Yeah, to your country, and they can please. all, they can all speak better English than both of us combined. Yeah. 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 And they're better looking. Yeah. And they have better hair. They definitely have better hair than me. I mean, I don't think mine's bad. But, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So I think that beadlocks have their place. There are only a couple deadlock you know, DOT approved bead locks. Compliant. Compliant is Compliant. the technical term there. Gotcha. Good. That's good correction there. The uh, Hutchinson's are one yeah. that, that come to mind. And then more recently, AEV came out with their Crestone that it's like a, it's a hybrid wheel where you can run it with no bead lock. You can run it as a bead lock. You can run it with a trim ring or yeah. you can run it with a true bead lock ring. And uh, they're fairly reasonable too, like in the high 200s per wheel. Yeah. I mean, in, in my opinion, a true bead lock is something that's like a Hutchinson. Right. Captures you know, both it, it captures both sides. And the only way they're really able to do that is through this kind of nylon rubber insert that literally Sam, yeah. it has, think, think of it as a 16 inch wheel for a 15 inch tire. So it's a higher profile. Yep. The inside is is absorbed by this rubber mm-hmm. nylon piece. And then the front of the wheel is actually bolted on. So it's sandwiched. It can't go anywhere. Yep. You know, really, really tall lip. That, that's a that's a proper beadlock like you'd see in a military style application with an O-ring. Yep. They and are, you can even have you can even have those inserts that are a run flat too. So yeah. they're, you know, Hutchinson's have a lot of advantages on the performance side, the durability side. They're extremely heavy, difficult to balance. In my experience, they were very difficult I have to balance. Never, but, I mean, you've had a set in your G. Yeah. I've had a set on my your Wrangler. Wrangler. Yeah. And then I have a set on the Earth Roamer. Yeah. And I've, I have yet found a way to perfectly balance them. Yeah. I've gotten them close. Yeah. I've also experienced a lot of like O ring issues. Now, this isn't necessarily. Hutchinson's fault. Sure. 90% of the time it's probably going to be, you know, installation error. Right. You do have to continually torque these wheels and check them and really kind they of They are the coolest wheel on the planet though. I mean, I the want 
we talk about wants versus needs. This was a Scotty want for a really long time. Yeah. And then when I finally got them and just couldn't get them to work right, and I just went back to the factory G-Wagon wheels, but they're very, very cool. And you you never really have to worry about popping yeah. a bead. Like I, I used in my, in my JK Rubicon, I would run eight PSI. Why? Because I could. Yeah. And it was a magic carpet ride. Yeah, like I've, for sure. It was wonderful. But I think those AEV Crestones are a really nice alternative. That's what I put on the Lexus and they work great. I, I, so. I find for most people, they're going to push a bead off on a rock. They're going to be at low, low pressure yeah. and they're going to come across a rock and it's literally just going to it's going to wedge itself in there. Yep. You're going to lose pressure. Either you're going to, it's preventing burping. Yep. Um, and burping guys is literally when sidewall gets kind of pushed off of the, that surface that's actually holding the pressure. And then it just yep. farts. Yeah. And it just can be for a moment until the tire rotates and it reseals. Or it can mean that you completely lose pressure yep. and then your tire comes off or it's a impact thing. Yep. So I think realistically the, like those AEV Crestones are like the, they're probably the best option, but in most cases, I don't think that they're necessary. Um, and it wouldn't be something like if I was trying to decide between, can I stay traveling in Ecuador for another month or buy these more expensive wheels? I would rather travel for another month. You know, most OEM wheels are more than sufficient and yeah, just save the money. For sure. Yeah. But there is a place for steels too. I think they just look right on certain cars. They do. Yeah, they do. Like, like on the, your Defender? Yeah, that's right. Just looks right. Yeah, 7.5 XELs on steels. It looks just right. Oh, you never talked about, I'm holding you to this, <laughs> XELs and why you love them and John Lee loves them and no one else I know loves them. <clears throat> they look right, but they suck. Yeah, they, they have admit a- Admit it, admit it, admit it, admit it. They suck. Admit it. Yeah. So they, they, uh, they've killed me or nearly killed me, excuse me, on many occasions, like anytime you hit the brakes on wet surfaces and then they, they simply just look right, but they, they're, they're, (laughs) they're terrible in everything, but two ways. They do not puncture. I've never seen one punctured. Um, it doesn't mean that they don't puncture, but I have never seen one get a puncture. And then they work great if it is very shallow mud and you just kind of dig through that surface. Yep. Um, so they they definitely have their place. And, and they're, they they're just cool. They're cool as hell. They will outlast you. Yeah, totally. They're cool as hell and they they live forever and they look great on classic vehicles. But if you're if you're thinking you're going to get some performance advantage from an XEL, uh, yeah, look elsewhere. That would be a great greeting in some countries. I hope you live longer than an XEL. <laughs> yeah, right. So true. But, yeah. yeah. Um, They're cool. Yeah. St- steel it. wheels. There's just not a lot of people doing them anymore. I mean, I, I guess the, the, the designs are kind of, I'm not going to say limited, but they yeah. are, um, they have a D shaped hole yeah. or a circle shaped hole, <laughs> right. Or no hole or no hole. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. You'll find them on less expensive vehicles or as, as like a base model or as a spare tire. Yeah. The argument that you can hammer them out is absolutely true, but I've also hammered out aluminum wheels. Um, if you're careful, um, anytime I've had had to hammer a wheel. It was on a motorcycle and they were all aluminum wheels. It worked just fine. So there's some advantages around that. The disadvantage is that they are very heavy. Um, so you have that additional rotating and reciprocating mass. So that's, that's a downside, but there's nothing wrong with steel wheels. I think they're super, they look I think great. Cool. Like they the new great. defender has, has available yep. steel wheels. Exactly. Um, you know, it's nice. I feel like again, wheels and tires are something that have changed so much. They have in, well, I mean, think, think 50 years. Like I want to say it was Michelin or somebody posted. Um, I, I saw it on some Porsche Instagram page where they posted a 19, 
1970 factory fitted Michelin tire to a 911. <laughs> yeah. And then they posted a picture of a 2020 factory fitted Michelin tire. And it was like insane. It was like drastically different. Yeah. But even, even going 10, maybe 15 years sure. back again, I'll, I'll use the discovery or whatever vehicle you want to a defender or something. Sure. You know, you're putting a 235, 85, 16 on yep. that vehicle, a 32 narrow. You had ample sidewall, not near the sidewall that like my Gladiator would have. Sure. So I feel like steel wheels definitely have their place. But since we can fit such larger tires with such huge flotation and huge yeah. sidewalls, I don't think alloys are really bad anymore. No, I think they have a lot of advantages. One of the best reasons to run steel wheels is that when you're traveling internationally, you lower the profile of the vehicle. Yeah. They're less likely to want to be to steal them because they they don't look like they're valuable. So that is one of the best advantages of a steel wheel. It's very understated. It doesn't look like something that's flashy and expensive and yeah. worth stealing. So, you know, I would definitely look at steel wheels in that in that advantage. Personally, I think I gravitate towards them because I like the fact that they are more minimalist, that they are more understated. I find that like maybe it just kind of appeals to my practicalities a little more yeah. um, than some performance advantage that people make up just to justify their decision. Yeah. So, it's just need versus want. I mean, yeah. I don't really see a huge difference. Like I, yeah. I, I would suspect a large percentage of drivers who swapped steel wheels for aluminum wheels. They yeah. would have no idea which set was on the car at the current time. Yeah. It would be difficult to tell the difference between the two for sure. Um, Absolutely. Uh, one thing that is really important to, to discuss on wheels uh, that I do want to make sure that we talk about is offset. Yes. And it is one of the things that I, until I knew it and understood it, it was like a light bulb came on. You'll see a vehicle that'll have these very wide wheels that are pushed out from the brodozers. Yeah. Think of a brodozer. Yeah. So that means that they even have a negative offset, which means that they're pushed past the center line of the hub. Those are actually extremely unsafe unless it unless it is demanded for the application like an Arctic truck. So the reason why vehicles come from the factory with a positive offset, which means that the majority of the wheel is inside, so distal to the surface of the hub, is because if the vehicle comes off the crown of the road and it hits a patch of snow or gravel or grass, uh, the outside of that tire is going to, it's going to catch that resistance. It's going to feel that resistance. And if it has a negative offset, it's going to pull the vehicle into the ditch. Whereas if it has a positive offset, which means when it encounters that resistance, it actually causes it to either stay neutral or to force the vehicle away from that or resistance. Leverage. That's correct. So it's the leverage point. When you see somebody that's running these super wide wheels that are stuck way out from the hub surface and they tell you that there's some advantage to that, they're absolutely incorrect. And I and I used to think that and I was incorrect. There's a reason why they have positive offsets. We need to fit positive offset wheels to our vehicles because they are much safer. Yeah. And two, just reliability of the vehicle, all of that additional leverage that's yes. being placed on your wheel bearings, the same reason Steering why. components, everything. 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 Yeah. Thing. You know, I think that there's some there's some vehicles that can get away with it, maybe more than others. You know, they're also how do you say it? I would be far more willing to accept a negative offset wheel on a 3500 pickup truck, sure, than I would a Tacoma. I mean, again, I'm not ragging on a Tacoma. <laughs> I feel like I really do. Yeah, yeah, a heavier duty vehicle can handle it, uh, but even even the Arctic trucks that we've used, those are a Hilux, which have very similar suspension to the Tacoma. They are very robust, um, but there's no way around it. They have to yeah. use this negative offset. They cannot tuck the tires because they're too big. They're 18 and a half inches wide, but in every 
every other instance, we need to make sure that we're using a positive offset wheel. And we want to stick to about as the same offset that the factory has. Moving on to wheel size, and I think it has been commonly understood that a smaller wheel is always better for off-road. And I think there's merits to that. Sure, flotation the thing, for the sure. The thing that I will say now, um, I, I learned this with my F-250 that I had um, a while ago. I had 17-inch wheels on it. I think there were 17s for a while. And then I went up to 20s. Mm. Now I went up to 20s with a 37-inch tire, so I still had huge amount of sidewall that vehicle handled so much better it didn't push through the sidewall it understeered less yes sure it was more direct yeah Um, so i think that's also something to consider um the reason why sports cars have large diameter wheels and low profile tires is you have much less deflection of the sidewall which is going to improve traceability and predictability and line holding Um, the downside is is that you have a big reduction in flotation and more of the wheel is at risk yes so you're you're much more likely to end up with but there is a balance there i guess and that's the 17 right (laughs) yeah yeah and you know i guess that's all i'm trying to get to is recognize that vehicle speeds are faster than they used to be sure vehicles are significantly more powerful than they used to be yep um and kind of keep that in like just because you could put a 15 inch wheel on your eight thousand pound full-size truck doesn't actually mean that you should sure you know there's there's going to be that happy compromise which generally lands at a 17 yeah um yeah you look at the use case i mean kind of in summary on all of these things buy the tire that best meets your needs for the majority of your driving and then just feel comfortable with that decision you're going to be so much happier in the long run you know avoid using a mud tire if you live in the desert southwest and you don't plan on driving in the mud because there's going to be a lot of upsides to having an all-terrain and then when it comes to the any of these purchases like we talked about in the beginning is if you need a new set of tires then do the research and buy something that's really appropriate for you, maybe just stick with what's stock for a while and use that money to go explore new places. And I think that as we've continued on with this podcast, it's become more and more apparent to me and the feedback that I get is it is about the travel and that it is the thing that brings Matt and I so much joy. And we know it brings all of you so much joy. Um, We do need to understand how these things work so we can make good decisions and spend our money wisely, but let's spend a lot less of it if we can. Yeah. Yeah. And, And let's not be the people that are just about the build, about the constant changes, the constant modification. Yeah. If you've got it, run with it. Yeah, just you know? run run with what you got and then find out where it works and when it where it doesn't and then uh, build appropriately, right? Yeah. Well, hopefully this has been uh, enlightening for some of you. I, I actually learned some things from Scott as I usually do. Oh, yeah. there's su- it's such an interesting topic and, and there's so much to explore around tires and tire performance and the way that it improves our travels and and give us some insights in the way things work. And that's why we started this Principles of Overlanding series is that we really wanted to do the deep dive into things like it, we have talked for an, an hour and hour. eight minutes on wheels and tires. There's so much. That we, we could talk for another hour. Yeah. And and I and again, I, I only know 5% of what I wish to learn. And that is what is so fun about yeah. the topic of overlanding. There is so much to learn. And we're so grateful for you all listening. Please send us your feedback and any questions that you've got. Except for what size tires and how much lift. Yeah. If you ask what's us the large, that. Yeah. What's the largest tire I can fit on my Tacoma with no lift? It's, it's a <laughs> 27.5. That's the answer you're going to get. Yeah. And, a, and a picture of Dak. I'm going to send you a link that says, let me Google that for you. <laughs> so where they, where can they reach you, Matt? What's your uh, so Instagram? I'm on Instagram at Matt Explore. 
And then you're scott.a.brady on Instagram, right? That is me. Please feel free to reach out. We love hearing from those that listen to the podcast. Uh, We are working on an Ask Me Anything episode. So if there are things that you would like to ask us, like for example, what hair products that I use or where does Matt find these beautiful shirts, uh, you can send us whatever questions that you've got and we will do our best to answer them on a future episode. So thank you all for listening and we will talk to you next time. Adios.